Three Pillars podcast. Peter Harper, the Managing Director and CEO of Senior Advisors. If you're not familiar with the business, we're a multifamily office advising foreign family offices and private clients on US direct investment and merchant acquisitions. In this episode of the Wealth Management Series, we'll be discussing investing in collectible rare books with Pom Harrington. Pom, thanks uh, a lot for taking the time out of your schedule to meet with us today. Uh, hello, Peter, and uh, thank you. My, my name is Pom Harrington, and I'm the owner of Peter Harrington Rare Books. Uh, we focus on rare book collecting. Um, it was founded by my father, and our business is one of the largest rare book dealerships in the world. Um, and we were featured uh, this year in the Sunday Times BDO Profit Track 100 as one of the Britain's biggest, fastest growing uh, private companies with uh, profits the last three years. I'm also the president of the Antiquarian Booksellers Association, which is the senior trade body for rare book dealers in the UK. And I also happen to be the chairman of FIRST, which is London's rare book fair event. And it's the key annual book fair in the UK. Um, I personally love to collect books and uh, I find it fun and it's personal and it happens to be my hobby. Well, it's that's fantastic. I mean, if, you, if you're lucky enough to do what you do for a living and it's a hobby, that's always fantastic. Well, um, Pom, as, as I said before, thanks very much for making the time. For our uh, listeners, I think it'd be great to sort of kick off with a sort of general over, overview of sort of buying 101 if they're thinking about getting into collecting rare books, where's the best place to start? How they should be thinking about it? Is it like other investments or is it more like a collectible focus? Um, and uh, and you know, maybe some market trends and what you, you, you're seeing in the market at the moment. Okay, well, there's quite a few questions there. But I, I think right back, back at the beginning, when we meet prospective new collectors of books... Um, I think where people start is they buy or pursue books that have influenced their lives. So it might be reading Winnie the Pooh um, by A. Milne as a child or Lord of the Rings as a teenager, or you studied Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations at university. What they then want to do is how did this book appear when it first came out? And really the point of book collecting is to acquire the book in the condition it was born in. So in the case of Adam Smith, you want it in an 18th century binding. And if it's Lord of the Rings, you want them fine in the original dust jackets. So that, that's what we aspire to. Um, you, you want the first printing. Sometimes you aim for autographs, um, which then add another component to it. So that's where people start. The next thing is you buy the best you can afford. Um, there'll be huge sliding price scales for first editions. Uh, and for example, with Lord of the Rings, as the example, you know, it was issued in dust jackets. A first edition set of the, the trilogy without dust jackets can cost you two, three, four, five thousand dollars, but a fine set would be fifty thousand dollars. So there's a big wide spectrum there of what you can spend. But basically you buy the best you can afford because when it comes to selling, um, if it had problems when you bought it, it's still gonna have problems when you sell it and it'll be harder to sell. So quality really comes through. I think the big takeaway from me was really focusing on, you know, first editions. You might like a book and you might be interested in it, but is it worth acquiring something if it's not a first edition? Um, we always aim for first printing, and that is, again, the, the primary goal. 
the price, if it's not a first printing, falls off a cliff. Sure. I mean, I mean, the, the common one, is, of course, at the moment is Harry Potter. This is the great, you know, uh, big rising star of collectible in the last sort of decade or so. And a true first of the first Harry Potter book will now set you back $100,000 um, or possibly more. The second printing, two or $3,000. And, and the difference is literally a month. They look exactly the same, apart from one little digit on the back of the title page to tell you that it's a first printing. So again, I mean, when we look at books um, and when you're spending a lot of money in books, it's an investment of your money. Um, and we, when we look at books in terms of what can happen in value, we can't say what's going to happen in the future. What we look at is the track history of what happened with books in the past. And if you look at uh, certain books like um, Harry Potter or something maybe a bit more conventional, uh, Charles Darwin, Origin Species, um, the beautiful copies that 25 years ago, you could buy an Origin of Species first edition for, say, $30,000. These days, it's going to cost you three to $400,000. If you bought a second printing 30 years ago, you'd probably buy one for $1,500. Now it's going to be six, seven thousand bucks. You know, it's just dragging behind. Um, the truly great stuff seems to just keep being greater. And just remember, when you find something that's truly amazing, if you think it's amazing, when you come to sell it, it's much more likely someone else will think it's amazing too. That's a really important point. And, and Pom, when we were catching up previously, um, you know, one thing that was really interesting to me was you were talking about trends and things that come in and out of fashion. So right, thinking about, you know, and someone with your type of experience, certain books you can spot and would say, I imagine there are, these are, might be a trend of the time, whereas other books have got, you know, maybe the prices aren't jackknifing up, but they're just slowly increasing over time. Can, can you talk a bit about the importance? I mentioned Origin of Species. I think that's a good example of where natural science and science in general has just been more and more in fashion, um, be it from technology stock and the money coming into there, but also natural sciences, environmentalism, um, climate change, and now, of course, we have a pandemic. So the interest in natural science is huge. That influences what people want to collect. Um, in the 1930s, they were quite obsessed with John Goldsworthy. Um, and John Goldsworthy is quite expensive in the 1930s. No one cares about John Goldsworthy these days. Um, David Roberts um, is a good example of fashion. Um, David Roberts was the English artist and traveler that went to the Middle East. And importantly, he was the first Westerner really allowed into the mosques and the holy sites in the Middle East to actually paint and draw them. He came back in 19th century Britain and he did the most amazing book. It came out in six volumes, all these amazing illustrations and drawings of uh, inside the mosques and the pyramids, etc. This book has been hugely popular, in particular, the latter half of the 20th century, where tourists, for the first time, are now going into Egypt, seeing these um, pyramids, going into Petra, going to the Holy Land. And they'll come back from these great holidays and then go, oh my God, there's a book there from the 19th century, and they'll buy it. And this book, therefore, just got more and more collectible, more and more valuable. The problem is now, for the last 20 years, no one's really been going because of the political problems, no one's really traveling to Egypt anymore, not for the tourism. And for that reason, the book has not really changed in value in 20 years. Uh, and this is what I mean by, you know, this is um, fashion, 
So the question, if you're wanting to sort of buy something that might appreciate, your best pitch would be what's going to be popular in 20, 30 years' time. Sure. What is perhaps underrated now that you think will be important in 20, 30 years' time? Well, I- Jane Austen. Jane Austen was collected within a decade or two of her dying. Um, first editions were in important libraries right back 19th century. And a first edition Pride and Prejudice is still probably one of the most desired and sought after first editions that you could find. And the price has continued, it's gone up and up. And actually, in particular, the last two or three years, it's probably doubled. I mean, it's extraordinary. Three years ago, I was selling copies for 40, 50,000 pounds. Those same books are now selling for 80,000 pounds. And when they do a reboot of the movie and there's a new generation that are... No question it influences it. And actually, the best example of that is James Bond. Uh, Every time a James Bond movie comes out, a new batch of collectors for James Bond novels, the Ian Fleming. Um, There are 14 novels you can collect. They were published in 1953, 1966. You did one per year. And actually, it's a great series for beginners to learn the rules of rare book collecting because the, the rules of rarity, there's only 4,000 copies of the Casino Royale, the first book. With the Dutch jacket, it's worth thousand dollars $50,000. Without the jacket, it's worth three or $4,000. But you can learn those rules. The next book that came out had twice the print run. So you can right. probably half the price. And again, condition and, and comes into it. So, um, you know, they're great ways of learning how the, the, the collecting works. And one thing that I'm sure is important is, you know, an authentication process. And, and um, you know, I imagine there is there is some degree of fraud in, in the business. It's, it seems to be everywhere when you've got people willing to pay a lot of money for uh, limited things. How, how does people think about, you know, authenticating a, a product and credited sellers and, and the risk of, of getting something that may not be what they think it is. But the good news for rare books is for the most part that there are actually very few forgeries. I mean, deliberate forgeries, actually very hard to do. Um, With autographs, that's quite a different matter. And I'll come to that in a second. The best advice I can give anybody is use an accredited dealer. As it happens, I'm president of the Antiquarian Book Association in the UK. There is the equivalent in America, the Antiquarian Book Association of America, there's 450 members, and actually we're, we're united by a global body called ILAB, the International League of Antiquarian Booksellers. Anybody part of that group um, have been voted in by their peers, um, they're bound by regulations, morals and ethics of our trade. And that means everything is guaranteed as original, and, and, and you know everybody has to have at least five years experience of trading in a book trade, etc. So buying from the accredited dealer is quite important. I think if you buy... On the internet blindly, there's a lot of pop-up dealers and eBay or other ways of buying online. Um, you do probably take a little bit more of a risk, whereas you can take some comfort from buying from a credited dealer. Um, autographs is definitely more difficult. Um, it's a different, different, different matter, but I think just buying from a, from a correct dealer. And how do you go about verifying, right? You think about an older book where um, it's signed, what, what's the process like for verifying an older signature? Is it simply trying to find another example of the signature somewhere in the public? In our case, I mean, we, we've been dealing 50 years. So, and we've had a database for the last 20 years and we photographed everything we've had in the last 10 years. 
So we actually have our own wonderful database of reference. And, it, and it's funny, you know, I could look at Roald Dahl because that's what I collect. And I can look at my screen, I can flick my records. I could have, I've got probably 200 records of Roald Dahl autographs. And believe me, the wrong one suddenly pops up, it jumps out. There's a consistency of an autograph um, and it's like a fingerprint. And, you know, when you understand the author and their autograph, then when it's not them, it really does jump out. We like to see actually fully inscribed. Um, that, that also is helpful. And you tend to get that with maybe 19th century authors where they write to whoever with kind regards from the author and you get basically more writing to judge with. Um, I, mean, I mean, one of my favourite ones is Charles Dickens. I mean, he had a, a wonderful flourish. Um, and it's quite complicated flourish and therefore forgers don't really try. It's such an easy one to pick out. So experience is the main way. And actually, once you learn a little, little bit, it, it, you can self-govern yourself. I mean, some of it's pretty straightforward. I mean, J.K. Rowling at the moment is the, probably the biggest problem in the marketplace. Um, and so I'd say of all the ones that right now, beware of that one. Okay. Yeah, that's really good advice. And then sort of f- final question, um, what is your favourite book uh, that you've ever sort of come across uh, and, and dealt with? And what's the most valuable book that you've ever ever, ever, ever dealt with? I think my favourite book, um, and I mentioned Charles Dickens, um, I actually first read about this book existing just doing some research for something else. And I thought it was amazing. It was Charles Dickens' Tales of Two Cities, but a presentation copy to George Eliot with admiration from the author, Charles Dickens. I thought, my God, that's an amazing book to have those two authors connected. And then, you know, some years later, it must be about six, seven years ago, it was actually offered to me um, and I bought it and then said how much. (laughs) And I thought it was amazing. Um, I actually took it home. I I kept it for about 18 months. And then when we did an anniversary catalogue for Peter Harrington, uh, we had a catalogue 100. And uh, I actually put it in that catalogue and, and we sold it immediately. But um, that's probably one of my favourite ones. That's such a big title from one sure. author to another. Um, that was pretty amazing. It was like £275,000 in the end. Um, I probably wish I could have it back for that now. Um, <laughs> and most valuable, we have done various things. Um, probably the most expensive thing we've handled was actually like a 13th century Islamic manuscript of encyclopedia. Um, that was translated and was used as a reference for the first English to Arabic dictionary. And we okay. had uh, the actual manuscript of the dictionary to go with it. Oh, wow. And uh, we actually bought that for a client auction. It was like a million pounds at the time. Um, well, we have handled things probably more valuable, but most things don't go much over that. It's pretty unusual. Um, our world record, however, is we once had a set of books from George Washington's library. Mm-hmm. Um, which was signed by George Washington about the history of the American Revolution. Uh, I can't disclose exactly what it was, but it was millions. Wow. And that's probably the most valuable thing we've had. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time. This has been very informative and um, excited to, to get started collecting. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.